Well, hey everyone, good morning. I want to welcome you to Resurrection City Church, whether it is your hundredth time here or your first. Um, I'm, not sure if, I'm not sure how many times you could have been here since we started the church. I could probably do the math if I wanted to, but um, the point is, glad to have you here, uh, no matter um, if it's your first time or, or one of many times for you. So my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Resurrection City Church, and we are going to be con- uh, kind of continuing on in our, in our larger sermon series on uh, finding wisdom, but beginning a new uh, mini-series within that on the book of Job. Before we get into it, let me just pray real quick, and then we will get started. Father, we thank you that you um, have, have blessed us with another Sunday that we can gather together here where we can worship, we can gather, we can um, take communion, we can um, be together, and we can also hear from you. We can learn from you um, as we study your word, God. Help us to have attentive ears, um, give our hearts, uh, open our hearts up to hear what you have to say to us this morning, and help us to um, be changed as we uh, head out from this place by what we are about to meditate on. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So like I said, we are going to be uh, starting a mini-series on the book of Job here. And what we've been doing is we have been walking through this idea of wisdom as it is Uh, unfolded for us in several books in the Old Testament. Now, to do that, I want to actually show you a picture here and talk a little bit about it. All right, so check this out. I want you to look at this picture, and I want you to think about or try to guess what this uh, what this vegetable is, okay? We, we, we started a garden, uh, a vegetable garden in our, our home a few years ago, and Julie especially has put a lot of time into this, and she's done a great job. We have a ton of vegetables that we're able to eat from the garden um, on a consistent basis, but there's kind of been one thing that we've struggled to grow, and this is it, all right? So, so take a guess as to what it is, all right? Think about it for just a second. Okay, this is a cucumber. Okay, raise your hand if you guessed this was a cucumber. Okay, we have a couple people in the back that guessed that. Awesome. Yeah, it, it's a cucumber, um, and uh, like, for some reason, despite the fact that Julie's a, a good gardener, she knows what she's doing, right? She sort of followed the directions that she's learned as to how to do a good job of growing cucumbers and other vegetables. For some reason, it turned out looking like more like a tennis ball than a cucumber, all right? And we're just not sure why. We haven't been able to figure it out, and that's okay. We're not cucumber-growing experts. Um, but I think when we start to, when we look at this and we think a little bit about growing things in a garden, it's help, that's really helpful for us to understand what wisdom is, all right? And we, we, we've talked about this um, in, in the series so far. I've used this metaphor to describe wisdom, that wisdom is like planting a garden, all right? That's one way to sort of help us understand the principle at work when we are, uh, when we are thinking about wisdom, all right? When it comes to planting a garden, if you, you, know, if you water, you, you, know, you put the right seeds in the ground, you put cucumber seeds in the ground, you water them, you, you, know, you do a good job of tending the sto- soil, you make sure it's getting lots of sun, um, you, you, you are pruning it, you, you should expect to get cucumbers to grow and cucumbers that look like what cucumbers are supposed to look like, right? And of course, if you uh, put a rock in the ground, you shouldn't expect a cucumber to grow, right? Or if you put a cucumber seed in the ground, but you don't do any work to sort of tend it, you shouldn't expect to get cucumbers, right? We understand how that works. 
Wisdom is, is similar. We've talked about how, right? If you put in something and you, you do it as, it's, as the world has sort of been ordered, the way that God has ordered it according to his wisdom that he's woven into creation, you should expect to get a certain uh, result back. You shouldn't be surprised when you get uh, cucumbers that look right, all right? Now, here, here's the thing, though. And, and as we, we, we take this metaphor, we kind of expand on it by adding other voices into it than just, say, the book of Proverbs, which we started the series off with, or the book of Ecclesiastes, which helped us to sort of deepen our understanding of wisdom. We start to run into maybe a couple of problems. And the, the book of Job really draws these out, and what it does is it helps us to get more depth in our understanding of what wisdom looks like. Not in a way that's contradictory with what we learned in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, but that sort of sharpens it. All right, And, and those two problems that get really drawn out in the book of Job are this. The first one is that we can start to view God as a bit of a vending machine. Right? If we start to realize that God has said, if you do this wise thing that I tell you to do, and uh, you should expect to get a certain good result, we will inevitably start to think of, you know, like, how can we sort of get the good result we want? And we start to think about just getting that good result rather than being righteous and wise, all right? Putting a quarter in the vending machine, expecting to get a Snickers out of there because we want to eat the Snickers, right? Or whatever healthy um, bars you choose to eat other than Snickers, right? Whatever that is, okay? That's one big problem that we will kind of come up on in the book of Job here. And the second is this, right? And going back to this cucumber um, thing, right? We understand, you know, Julie understands how to plant things, and she's had success in certain areas before, okay? Just because she applied all that to these cucumbers, for whatever reason, it turned out round, right? Without really understanding why that is, right? And, 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 and so there's something going on outside of her and my understanding there to produce a round cucumber, right? Or other times, maybe you'll try to grow something and for whatever reason, you just can't get it to grow, right? You, you, you do all the steps right, you've watched 10 DIY videos on YouTube, right? And you just, you can't get it to grow right. For some reason that's sort of beyond your understanding, Right? And it, the thing is, is we are limited. Right? We can have a good understanding of the way the world works, but it's always going to be limited in some way. And there's always going to be things going on that we don't understand because as humans, we have a limited view of the world. Okay? That doesn't mean that what we know about growing cucumbers isn't right. It just means something happened outside of our understanding in that situation that is sort of kind of stymieing the result that we're hoping to get. And wisdom is like this as well, right? And, and there are things that happen, despite the fact that we are living wisely, that gives us a result that's not what we're expecting sometimes, right? We might be living a, a righteous and wise life as we're, we're called to in scripture, but we still end up experiencing pain and hardship and suffering, all right? And what, what that means is there's something going on outside of our understanding here. And the book of Job is gonna address these two problems while also giving us a path to walk forward wisely when we do experience pain and hardship and suffering that is incongruent with what we are, what we, how we have been living, 
Okay, that is what the book of Job is about. And we're gonna be spending four weeks in this sermon series unpacking uh, what Job has to say about these questions. All right, so I'm excited to get into this. Um, I know the book of Job is, for, for many people, a really important book, right? This is one of maybe the most popular books in the whole Bible, um, and you, you know, if you don't know, if, if that's new to you, like, I think you'll understand why as we move through the book here. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna... Um, Kind of intro the book here. We're going to explain what's going on to kind of kick the story of Job off, and then we'll we'll get off and running with some application from that here. All right, so let, let's get it started here. We're going to start in Job chapter one, right in verse one, um, going uh, from verses one to three here. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people in the East. So here's what's being communicated to us about Job, right here at the very beginning of the book. And I think there's three things to note here about what we're told. First of all, and this is just, just interesting, um, Job is not an Israelite. Hey, he's someone who lives in the land of Uz, but he still worships the God of Israel, Yahweh. So there is, this wisdom operates outside of the covenant people of Israel we find as well. And people outside of Israel are also fearing God and seeking wisdom out. That's the first thing. The second thing is that Job feared God and he avoided wickedness. Now, if you remember back to stuff we've said in the past in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, this idea of fearing the Lord is the entry point to wisdom. We, we find that over and over and over again, that if you want to do wisdom well, you have to start with this posture of fearing God and, and avoiding evil, right? That, that comes up all the time, and Job does this, right? Job is this sort of um, ideal model or character uh, for what it looks like to, to be wise, right? We're told that from the very beginning. And, he, and he's almost like Solomon-like in how he's talked about here, right? But maybe even surpassing Solomon, who we talked about back in Proverbs, right? He is this excellent person that we want to model ourselves after. He is being set up as an example for us, and now the third thing that we find out about Job is because of his wisdom, because he's feared God, he's shunned evil, he's been righteous and blameless, um, he has reaped immense blessing from that, right? From, from, from his wisdom, he has accumulated uh, very much livestock, which is uh, the marker of a, of a prominent man in that time. He has many children. Um, he has many people who work for him that kind of operate his business. He, he's been wa- blessed immensely, right? And again, as we went through the book of Proverbs, we found that this is what Proverbs has been telling us. If we live according to wisdom, we fear God, we will find ourselves reaping the rewards of that. We will have a full, a lush garden, growing many perfectly shaped cucumbers and whatever else you're trying to grow, right? That's the expectation when you live out wisdom according to the book of Proverbs. And Job has experienced all of this, right? We, we find that out in the very beginning here. So what happens is in a couple verses, um, we actually get to a transition in uh, where the story is taking place. It starts out on earth telling us about Job, but then it moves up from earth to God's space, to heaven, to the place where God sort of holds court in his divine council room 
um, where these lesser divine beings reside with him, and it's kind of confusing. We're not gonna get into all of it today, but actually, if you remember way back in the Daniel series that we did, there's a sermon called uh, Pulling Back the Curtain of the Spiritual World, where we tried to sort of unpack what this all looks like, because this shows up in the book of Daniel as well. So I would, uh, if, if you're confused by what's going on here, I would just suggest maybe go check that out, or the Bible Project also has some great videos on this as well. But that's what is, is taking place here in the in, in scene, all right? And so what we find here is, is in verse six and seven, we find God uh, engaging with some, some of these divine beings, all right? So here we go, verse six. One day the divine beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and the adversary also came among them. The Lord said to the adversary, where did you come from? And the adversary answered the Lord, from wandering throughout the earth. Now what we're gonna find here is uh, a rabbit in the garden, right? Or, or maybe more accurately, something's taking place that is outside of the understanding of the gardener, which is Job in this analogy. Okay? Something is taking place in God's space that Job is completely unaware of and will remain unaware of for the entire book. But it's incredibly important what takes place here, so we're gonna spend some time uh, dealing with it. Now, someone shows up maybe crashing the party, maybe not, we're not totally sure exactly, that is normally translated as Satan. All right, you'll notice that I use a different translation for this verse here to try to draw out what the actual language is here. And I do wanna just tarry on this just for a second. It's, it's not necessarily essential to the book, but I think one of the things we always wanna do with our sermons, with our time studying the Bible as a church is to try to teach you to be good readers of the Bible. And that means spending some time um, talking about stuff like this occasionally to sort of help us be good, solid, really serious readers of our Bible. Right? Now, like I said, often in your Bibles, you'll, it'll say Satan showed up here to um, talk with God. So let's talk about this character a little bit. Now, the, the Hebrew word to describe the person who shows up to start this conversation with God is hasatan, or literally the Satan. That's, the, that's what shows up for us here. The definite article is put in front of it. So it's not a name, it's not a name of someone or even a title, it's just a generic word for the Satan. And in Hebrew, the word Satan means just an opponent or an adversary or something like that. It's a word that actually gets applied to divine beings and humans in the Old Testament. All right? It's not necessarily a title, at least at this point, that we come across it here in the Old Testament. So we're not totally clear who the text wants us to understand as coming here. It's someone who is an adversary or an opponent to God, maybe, and we'll find out to Job as well. All right, So that's who is showing up here. Now, is this person... Satan, like capital S Satan, the devil, the sort of fully formed character that we find in the New Testament, who we get a, a, a robust description of, we find out a lot more about this person, um, or is it just some generic opponent that's showing up to talk with God? I'm gonna say, we just don't know for sure, okay? And, and I think that's okay for us to not exactly know who this person is. Um, I'll just say this, it would certainly make sense if it's the devil, but nothing actually in the story really hinges on it. Um, it could be the devil, like I said, in Revelation 12, uh, verse 10, we find out that, you know, capital S Satan, the devil, is called the accuser, right? Someone who, who is accusing God's people. 
And there's some speculation among scholars that the devil was once maybe like a prosecutor, like the, like the district attorney or something within this divine uh, be- realm of beings who like, thought God didn't go far enough in punishing people for what they'd done wrong and who took it upon himself to maybe prosecute or used dishonest or inappropriate tactics to get humans judged. Um, and it sort of turned him into this Opponent, you know, this primary opponent or adversary of who God is, right? That would certainly fit this picture, all right? But either way, we're just going to refer to this character as the Satan for the rest of the series. And he only shows up in, in this first uh, sermon. We won't even uh, need to mention him again as the story goes on. At least he doesn't pop up in the story itself. But we're just going to call him the Satan because that's what the text says, okay? So just, um, just throwing that out there for you here today. Just want us to be good, solid, strong readers of our Bible and just throw out there that we're not entirely sure who that character is. But they do show up and they start a conversation with God which we're going to get back into here uh, right now. So verse 8. Then the Lord said to the Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So uh, God says to the Satan, Hey, so you've been, out, you've been hanging out on earth, it sounds like. You must have ran into Job. And you must realize like how great this guy is like God is really excited about Job apparently he wants to kind of talk about how like he is you know living wisdom out he fears me he's doing what I desire of humans and he's and he says you've noticed him right like he's a pretty good dude wouldn't you agree now this is the inciting incident of the book this is what kicks the narrative of the book off is the, is God bringing this up uh, to the Satan we're not sure why God starts by doing this but it starts a conversation with them and, and the, Satan, the Satan's que- question back to God after this sort of uh, hints, he might believe that as he's walked around earth, he could maybe run the world a little bit better than God, okay? That, that's what you, you can maybe, um, you can maybe f- sniff that out in his response here. Here's what, here's what the Satan says back to God. Does, does Job fear God for nothing, the Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So here, here, here's what the Satan says. He goes, well, yeah, of course Job is great. Like, you give him all sorts of awesome stuff. Like, he's like your little puppy. You give him a lot of treats, and of course he's sitting for you. Of course he's shaking your hand when you ask him to do it. You've blessed him so much. Why wouldn't he do this for you? Um, and, 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 and basically his point is this. You, God, you can't really tell if Job is righteous or not because he's incentivized to act righteous. So you can't tell what his motive is in living this righteous wisdom out. You don't know if it's because he actually wants to worship you and has nothing to do with all the stuff you've given him or if he just really loves all the blessing you give him. You don't know. There's no way for, for you to know. And so what the Satan is doing is he's sort of putting God and his policies of blessing the righteous under a microscope. He's kind of asking God if this is really the best way to structure things. And so what this does is it, it makes God and not Job, actually, the main character of the book. 
And he is being put on trial. God's sort of policy of weaving wisdom into the world and sort of giving to the righteous and the wise a good, a good blessing back for that, he's putting that under the microscope. That's all being questioned. All the stuff that we read in Proverbs, the Satan is asking about it. And to go further with the question, he, he's asking, does the way you've wired the world, does that really get what you want from humans? Does it really get righteousness and goodness from them? All right? Uh, if that's how it works, doesn't that just make you a vending machine, God? Like, isn't, isn't that all you're actually setting yourself up for? And don't you realize that on top of that, you might actually be uh, opening yourself up to being manipulated by these people, to being tricked into thinking that they're really good when actually they're not, they're just in it to get the blessing? That, that's what he's asking here. And so the Satan, he thinks he has an answer to this problem. He, he suggests that, If God really wants to find out how righteous Job is, he should put this to the test. And he says, if you want to find out if he really worships you, take all this blessing that you've given him away. Take it all away and then see what his response is. Then you'll know for sure. And by the way, because I've spent some time around these humans, I'll bet you he curses you. I'll bet you that we find out he's actually not that righteous. He'll turn around and he'll say, uh, yeah, God, I'm done with you. Like, you took all my blessing away. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. That's what the Satan is sort of wagering here. And God decides to take the Satan up on this. Okay, it's, he, he figures, okay, we'll, we'll put this to the test then. And, and this is, this is kind of how this, the, um, this section resolves here. In verse, verse 12 Uh, The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay finger. Okay, so take his stuff away, but don't physically harm him. That's sort of the conditions for this. And then the Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now it's important to uh, note here, to remember, that Job is unaware of any of this stuff. This is all taking place at a level above his understanding, which makes sense, right? This is a this is a conversation that's going on in heaven, in God's space, something we can't perceive, something that we are limited in our perception or knowledge of where it's taking place. So for Job, this is all about to happen to him, but he has no clue why any of it's taking place. And so the Satan goes out from the presence of, of God and he whips up some marauders and they go and they, they kill and steal a bunch of his animals and they um, kill some of his servants and then after that, uh, this windstorm uh, comes up and, and all of Job's family, other than him, are in a, all of his kids are in a house together and a windstorm comes up and it causes the house to collapse in on them while they're having a family meal together. All right? and, and, and Job finds out about all of this at once. He has a, a servant that comes and tells him one thing and a servant that comes and tells him another and he hears all of it at once. And you, can you just imagine what it would be like to hear that? Like, can you imagine just how numb you would feel? It probably would take a little bit for it all to really set in what had just happened. But what, what Job does is, is he, you can tell he's just numb. And he says, he falls to his knees and he shaves his head. And you can just imagine him just kind of trembling as he cuts his hair, thinking about all that has taken place, right? You can just imagine the immense burden that he's experiencing as he hears all of this news at once. But, he proves a Satan wrong in how he responds. So what happens is this, we read this in verse 20 to 22. Then he, this is Job, he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. 
May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now, Job essentially is saying that God, as the creator and architect of wisdom and justice and everything that takes place on earth, doesn't owe him anything, right? Even when we do good. He's saying, this stuff was great, and I believe this is how wisdom is supposed to work, but all it ever was was a gift. God's not a machine, he's a being, one who does what he sees fit in each situation, exercising wisdom as he does it. And so Job is saying, me and other humans, we're not entitled to anything that we have. If it's taken away, it was only ever a gift. And he sort of humbly admits that just because he doesn't know why this is taking place the way it is, that just because he got a round cucumber or no cucumbers at all here, it doesn't mean that God isn't acting wisely and good and he's still worth worshiping. And that's, what the, that's what's going on when it says Job fell to the ground in worship is he's posturing himself before God correctly. He has a correct understanding of who he is in relation to God. Now, this is obviously an explosive idea, right? When we really think about it and kind of compare it to how we might think about things and how many people think about things today, this idea, it really confronts the view, right, that we deserve all these things that we get, that we earn them, that they belong to us, right? It's kind of in direct contradiction to how we may view much of the stuff that we have attained for ourselves, whether it's a job or money or whatever. We might think we've earned it, right, through our hard work, through our wisdom and doing everything. And Job's really confronting that here by saying, no, like, I'm not entitled to any of that stuff. God can do whatever he wants with it. And he chose to give it as a gift in the first place. So if he chooses to take it away, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna combat him on it because it was all ever a gift in the first place. Right, this proper relation, this proper ordering is what wisdom is all about. It is having this, this fear of the Lord that we talk about so much. Saying, God, you are beyond me and what you choose to do is still good, it's still wise, even if I don't get it, even if it's not what I would do, even if it hurts. That's, that's what's going on here. Now, the same scene actually plays out in chapter two. We won't walk through every verse of that. I'll just explain it here because it's really similar. Um, the Satan comes back comes back to God and, he's, and God says, hey, did you, have you been keeping an eye on Job here? Uh, guess you were wrong about that. And the Satan goes, well, yeah, like you had the kid gloves on. Like you didn't let me physically harm him. But I guarantee you that if you let me physically harm him, like let me take his health away, we'll see how it goes then. And I bet you at that point, Job will do what I, uh, what I initially predicted he would. And so God allows him to do it. And Job ends up getting these painful sores all over his body, right? And, and, and it just kind of excruciating pain now is also being added to the mix for him in addition to everything else that had happened. But we find as Job uh, maintains this proper relation, this proper ordering and worship of God by keeping himself in that place. This worship that is acknowledging who God is and who we are in relation to it. Job, Job stands firm in that. Now for us today, the, nar- the narrative ends for us today. We will keep going with the narrative um, as we move forward in the series, but we, wanted to s- we wanna start this off here with these uh, first couple chapters to sort of set the stage what is going on here. Now this idea of right posture that we encounter by Job here, this right ordering before God, you can maybe hear that as sort of relativizing grief. Of, of, you can maybe hear what I'm saying, what Job is saying is, 
just saying it's not a big deal, all right? And that pain doesn't matter because God is in charge and so he's gotta suck it up and deal with it. That's not what's going on here, okay? I, I just wanna be clear that what, what's going on with this sort of correct posture with ourselves, with God, is actually, it's gonna help us to walk through affliction wisely with engaging with this real pain and burden that we are experiencing that is real, right? That we're not relativizing just because we say God is in control, that he can do what he desires with us. And when we, when we set that up, it allows us to wisely walk through the pain and suffering that we're going through in a good way, and it connects us to God. And so what we want to do is we want to talk about this idea uh, of the path to suffering wisely in the sermon series. We're going to deal with the other problems about who God is, how wisdom works, how he operates in wisdom, but we also want to talk about how we respond in, in walking along this path uh, of suffering wisely throughout this series. Now, if you've ever gone through an extended period of suffering, you do understand, I, I think you understand that it is a path, it is a, it's really a journey is really what is taking place when we enter into a time of, of real suffering, of real affliction, okay? You, you may have found that in this last year. I know many of us have probably embarked on a, on a journey of some level of suffering and affliction with everything that has taken place that has happened in our society, right? We, we've all experienced that to a degree, and it has absolutely been a journey as we've been you know, trying to decide how to deal with it at different moments, right? Um, and while suffering may not be a journey that we've chosen to go on when it hits us, it's something that we're in. And so we gotta ask ourselves, how do we do this well? And we talk about a, a journey of suffering. I think there's a common way to talk about it. You hear about the stages of grief, right? Denial, anger, depression, bargaining, acceptance, these sort of um, levels that we move through. And you know it's, it's not linear, it's kind of all over those things, right? That's, that's language we hear, and I think that that's absolutely true. I also think that there's more to it just, than just that, though, as well. When we really think about what's going on with suffering and this journey, is, is we're talking about a journey that takes us from one place, where we were before the affliction started, before the suffering began, to another place. And that's really precipitated by the fact that we've lost something in suffering, right? And, and, and usually the reason it's suffering is because it's a permanent loss. It's something that we held dear, something that was even a part of who we were in a sense, right? kind of made up who we were that is now gone. And we can't go back to that place. We have to inevitably move to a new place where we live a life that is absent the thing that we lost in suffering. And, 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 and so the things that we could lose are, are, are so many, right? It could be the loss of a person who is a relation to us that is so important it sort of defines who we are. A child, a friend, a spouse. Um, maybe it's loss of health. Maybe it's loss of some future hope that we had, some dream or some desire we had for ourselves that gets taken away because of something that comes upon us, right? And, and what happens is this stays with us. It really becomes a part of us in a sense. And so when we lose something that's a part of us, we have to journey to a place where we are essentially a new person without this thing that was a part of who we were. And that, we can't go back, and it really is a journey. It really is, is sort of a process of, of, that's not linear, of walking through this, this, you know, making sense of this excruciating new reality that we find ourselves in, which there's no map for, right? There's no, like, do X, then do Y, and the problem is fixed. That's suffering. 
right? And it's a journey. It's one we find ourselves on. It's not easily resolved, despite the fact we might try to resolve it and fix it. When you really find yourself in this, you realize you're totally helpless to fix it, and you have to just kind of move forward, understanding that that's, that's the reality. Now, God uses this journey when we go on it, and I promise you, if you've not gone through a journey of affliction or suffering, you will at some point in your life, okay? God uses this to produce something good. He doesn't waste our pain, all right? But what we'll find is we usually don't travel along the path with God by him just giving us answers, by him saying, oh, you don't, you know, it was a conversation I had with the Satan in heaven, and so now you understand like why this all happened. That's not what happens with Job. And we'll find, he really, he goes through a journey in this book, okay? The book of Job is 42 chapters long. We did two of them today, all right? So there's a lot left to go, all right? We'll, we'll find him traveling along that, all right? And, and like I said, we're not given answers. We're not given answers to things because our view of what's going on is limited. In, in chapter 28, in verses 20 to 21 and, and verse 23, um, we're told this. Where then does wisdom, and this is specifically wisdom that has to do with, with how God relates to us in suffering. Where does this come from? Where does understanding dwell? You know, why did the stuff that happened, happen? It is a thing hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Yet God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells, right? The truth is that as we walk through suffering, we're not always gonna get answers because God has answers, but we are limited and we are not always gonna get them. And so the journey doesn't happen for us by us stumbling onto answers, but really it's in wrestling through the right questions, Okay, that's how the journey of suffering takes place. And I wanna talk about two specific questions and we'll find ourselves you know, coming back to these or similar questions in the book of Job, and here they are. Okay, these two questions sort of help us to wisely suffer by wrestling through them. The first is, deep down, do I believe God is only worth worshiping when he gives? And the second is this, do I believe God can still be wise even when the faithful, the righteous, the wise find themselves in suffering? Do I still think, do I think that those two things can fit? Now these two questions, sort of going back and forth with one another, journey us along the path, right? Like two feet, stepping back and forth, kind of moving us forward on this path. That's how these two questions are. I think they, 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 they go together because one of these questions, the first one, you know, is asking, do I believe God is worth worshiping when he gives? That's a question about us, right? That's something we learn about who we are, right? That we will, we will learn as we grapple with that question. And the second one, the question of, do I believe God can still be wise when, when the faithful, the innocent, the righteous are suffering? That's a question about who God is, right? So as we travel along this journey, we're gonna learn more about ourselves and we're gonna learn more about God, all right? And that's a part of us moving forward. Now to get there, we need to sit, we need to grieve, we need to say no to quick resolutions to these things, to answering them in a day or a couple of days, right? We need to be willing to allow ourselves to really wrestle through these things for a while. And we'll talk about this more next week specifically. We're gonna talk about what it looks like to, to walk with a friend who's going through suffering and we have some bad examples of that in Job's buddies who will show up here next, okay? But one of the things that we need to you know, understand is that they're on this journey as well. And so we need to be patient, we need to show them grace, we need to understand that the path isn't linear 
for them, right? We have to have the understanding as we walk through them with it. And over time as we wrestle, something that we'll find is that what, one thing that we lose is maybe a, a view of God that we had previous to the suffering. As we ask these two questions about ourselves and about who God is, we'll start to peel back and we'll start to find sometimes that the, we've, we've constructed a view of who God is in times of blessing that aren't totally accurate, right? Sprinkled into our view of who God is, it has sort of been um, affected by the fact that we're experiencing maybe primarily in times of wealth and health and happiness, or at least in times of without real suffering and affliction. And what we might find is that um, in some areas, we might find that we do view God, in a sense at least, in the way that the Satan tells God that he thinks Job views him. That we, deep down, we might think that God does owe us something, that he exists to make our life just fun and happy and easy, and that's kind of really why he's there, right? We might find that we believe that more than we think. And we have to enter into this journey, oftentimes, to realize whether or not that's true. All right? Or we, we might think that everything that God does has to make sense to us, right? That maybe he's accountable to us in a sense. If he's going to do something that impacts us, then he better let us know what he's doing, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, if he doesn't do that, then he's maybe not wise. He's maybe not just. He's maybe not good, right? We'll, we'll maybe find that we have some of those views of God, but it's hard to realize that until we're into this period of this journey of suffering. And if we're not going to allow ourselves to lose those views of God, that the, then the Satan's prediction that we will curse God or we will choose to not seek him out, that may come true. But if we believe that God is wise, even though we're in pain, We'll come out of a journey of suffering, viewing God through a fresh lens. And we'll find him to be a God worth worshiping no matter our circumstances. One who can actually sustain us in the midst of suffering. Now, I've lived this, and I'm guessing as you hear this today, a lot of you are saying, I've lived this too. Like, I can totally resonate with what you're saying. I feel like Job's a kindred spirit in a sense, right? Um, I, I, my guess is that many of you have experienced this firsthand. Maybe you're in it right now, all right? I, I get that. This is, a very, this is the common human experience of walking through this. Like I said, at least at some point in your life, experiencing this. And, and as if you have done this, if you found this to be true for yourself, like I, I know I can say I have, um, then you, I know you would encourage others as you live through this to, to do this, to seek God out even as you ask these questions, to continue to seek God out, to, to, to do the processing in front of God, okay? This is a process, this takes time, but if we're willing to seek God out and to have our view of God expanded, he's gonna meet us, right? Unfortunately, a vending machine God, a God who's accountable to us, that God is not gonna meet us in suffering, okay? Suffering throws that stuff out the window, all right? And we will, we will find ourselves realizing that God can't, be, can't exist when we're in suffering. He can't meet us because that God can't make sense of the pain that you're in, okay? But a God who is bigger than that, he can meet us. And those questions, as we process through them, they can bring us closer to God or they can push, us, push him away. And so do your processing about these things in the face of God. We'll see Job do this 
And he will see God eventually. He will meet God in a new sense. One of the most important verses, I think, in the book of Job is where he says, you know, I'd heard about you before, God, but after this time of suffering and really meeting you, I see you now. Like his, his level of experience with God has been shifted because of what he's walked through. And that's my hope for everyone who walks through suffering is that they can say the same thing as Job. Now, as we meet God, he'll meet us in a few different ways. And really, this is, this is, it maps on to the, you know, to, the, to the experience of who God is. And if we believe God is Trinitarian, he is three in one. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We'll actually find him meeting us as all three of those when we go through suffering. If it's, a, if it's as the Father, we'll meet him as the one who gives, who takes away, but then who gives again, who gives afresh, Right, whose mercies are new every morning, who, 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 who in grace will bless us again, even if we're in a period of, of not being blessed. And, and one who is beyond our comprehension how he does that. We'll meet him as the son, the one who suffers with us, taking on human flesh so that it can be nailed to a cross and pierced for our transgressions and ultimately die Right? We will find that we meet God as he empathizes with us, as he goes through the same thing that we're feeling, who, who, who's not like gonna sit, you know, sit this one out, right? who's not gonna ask us to go through, through something that he wouldn't go through himself. No, God goes through the same thing we do and he does it in the sun and we can walk with him in our path of suffering as we walk with him as he is revealed to us in Jesus, the one who suffers on our behalf. And then finally, we meet him as the Holy Spirit who gives us endurance through the power of his love even, even if we don't realize it. He is sustaining us as we walk through this. He's empowering us and he's prompting others around us to walk with us, to journey with us, to comfort us, to bring us healing and hope in the midst of, of us walking on this path of suffering and affliction. Now, we have all sorts of habits and temptations that we will find in suffering that will cause us to miss God or at least to, 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 to create a little bit of distance, to have trouble to find him as we walk through this, right? We're gonna be tempted to just, just try to distract ourselves, to numb ourselves, to lie to ourselves, to say, oh, it's not that bad or I haven't really lost anything here. You know, I, I'm not in a period of suffering. Everything's great. You know, you're gonna tell everyone the Minnesota, hello, how's it going? It's good when it's like, yeah, that is... Total, total crap. Like, you know, it's not good. You know how you do that, right? But we're trying to do that to convince ourselves. We're trying to do that to, to let other people know, everything's fine, don't worry about me because we don't want to worry about ourselves. We have to say no to that when we're in the midst of suffering, okay? But at the same time, we can't wallow either, okay? There's a difference between grieving and wallowing, I think, all right? And we have to know the difference between those and understand that grieving is good, grieving is helpful, Wallowing isn't. Wallowing is gonna, is, gonna, is gonna hurt us more than it's gonna help us. Okay, we're gonna be tempted to isolate, to sort of refuse to be around other people, to refuse to seek God out, to kind of wanna be alone with our pain. And I think that is gonna really be a challenge because it's gonna limit the, you know, the ability of God to use others to help us to have him walk with us, to help us to learn more about ourselves and more about him as we walk through this. We can't isolate. We have to be willing uh, to, to talk to other people. And we can't isolate our, from ourselves from God by sort of taking our true feelings, what we're feeling, and feeling them and processing them apart from him. 
We have to take it to him in prayer and in, and in willingness to hear what he has to say. And so if you spin that out the other way, the habits and practices that we need to take on as we find ourselves walking through uh, pain and suffering are simple but powerful and important. Steps like pausing, meditating, grieving, letting ourselves feel the pain, not distracting ourselves or numbing ourselves. It means going to God honestly, even if honestly we're like not in a good mood, we don't feel very um, humble before we go to God. Like it's better to go to God and say something you don't mean than it is to say that stuff about God not to him, right? There's grace, there's repentance, there's the ability to reconcile. Do that with God. Don't do it apart from God, all right? Um, It means community. Again, not isolating ourselves, but surrounding ourselves with other people who might also be walking through pain and suffering or who have walked through it in the past or who are going to point us to, to learn more about ourselves and God in the midst of this journey of suffering. Right? And we'll talk next week about good ways to do that and bad ways to do it because there for sure are bad ways to do it. And, and if, so if you're going to be someone walking th- with someone through pain and suffering, it's really important you do it well. And we'll talk about that next week, okay? But either way, it's important to be together. And it's important to spend long hours in prayer before God and reading scripture. And the reason that reading scripture in the midst of this is so important is because if you really open your Bible up, right, I think Sometimes we go to our Bible thinking, how is this a manual to tell me how I'm going to get blessed in, in, in my lifetime, right? I think that's how some people want to read their Bibles. And if so, they clearly haven't read their Bibles because everybody suffers in the Bible. Like, everybody is experiencing stuff like this all the time. That's, that's what's taking place in the Bible. It's people who are walking through suffering with incongruity about the way that the world is and, and being sort of challenged and seeking God out and growing. And that's where we're gonna find wisdom as we uh, it, you know, put ourselves into the story with them. Right? We find a wealth of figures who are on the same journey as us when we're suffering in scripture. Right? Job, obviously. But you have got in books like Lamentations or the Psalms or in the Prophets, these are being written as Israel itself, as a nation, is, is a group of refugees who are living in a strange land, like losing everything about their national heritage and wrestling through that. What does that mean about who we are and, and who God is? That is a constant theme of letters in the Old, or it's not letters, but of, 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 of books written in the Old Testament, okay? Go to that, read that, involve yourself with it, empathize with it, okay? There is stories of there are multiple stories of barren women in scripture processing through that barrenness in the face of God, right? Go to those stories, read them, pray them, meditate on them. The, the Psalms introduce us to David who is the, the king of Israel but he's also the king of letting us know how he's feeling, right? Go to the Psalms and like read what he has to say and I guarantee you, you will find yourself, you'll find your heart uh, moving in lockstep with David as he writes about himself going through affliction and pain. Um, Paul, the, the apostle who has written the most um, in, in the New Testament, you realize a bunch of those letters were written by him as he was in prison, right? As he's questioning whether or not it's better to just die than it is to keep going, all right? Like, that's, what, that's, that's the context for the writing of a lot of our New Testament, is people 
involved in intense suffering, wrestling through it with God and finding themselves being pushed to view themselves and God in a different light. And so if we want to um, experience God like they did, we have to do the same things that they are. And the only way we can understand how to do that is by reading about what they did. So in suffering, use scripture as your sort of your, your avenue to really learn what it looks like to seek God out and to see him afresh in the midst of your pain and your affliction. And as we do, we will add our voices to the chorus, we'll lament with them, we'll wrestle in our hearts with them, but ultimately, we'll worship God and praise him as well, as being worthy of worshiping even when things are tough. So let's move here to our reflection question and the closing of our service here. The reflection question today that I just want to ask, I want you to ask yourself is do I find God uh, worth worshiping only when things are good? Ask yourself that question as we enter into a time of worship here. Uh, I'm going to pray for us um, though as we, uh, as we close and enter into that time of worship. Lord, we thank you that you walk with us in affliction and suffering. And while it doesn't always make sense for us, you are with us and you desire for us to meet you more and to to grow more and you desire to comfort us, Lord. We're gonna be talking about what all that looks like here in this series, but Lord, help us to... um, Help us to, to, to find habits and practices and, and postures so that allows us to respond to suffering like Job does, Lord, both when it strikes us and also as we're living in the midst of it, God, so that we can have wisdom in the middle of that. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.